Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father, Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself? As did also his sons and his livestock. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, Give me this water, so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and His worshippers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, 
I am He. Literally, He said, I am. Ego me, the one speaking to you. This is one of many I am's in the book of John. Welcome to our series called Honoring God and More. I have actually spoken from this text earlier in the series. February 5th, we spoke on honoring true worship. Today, we're going to speak on honoring true worshipers. I think it was called Honoring True Worship, the Attributes of True Worshipers. Today, we're going to speak on Honoring True Worshipers, the Attributes of True Worship. It's too good to just jump away from. Worship is the heart of what it's about in living for God. We were created to worship. Human race wasn't that old in the second generation before Cain and Abel offered offerings in worship to God. So in our story today, Jesus, the Son of God, has come into the world to live as a man anointed by the Holy Spirit. And he has a conversation in Samaria. It's a region of Israel now. They often call it the West Bank. It's part of Israel. I mean, you know, they're including Judea in what they call the West Bank. It's occupied territory. It's the land God gave them. I'm sorry, just the way it is. Those that are claiming it are actually Jordanians. and They have their land. But anyway, that's my two cents for that right now. So he goes into Samaria They were not highly respected by those uh, from Judea and Galilee because they were a mixed race. What had happened centuries earlier, their enemies came in and conquered them and hauled off their youngins to other countries and forced a dispersion to happen and brought in foreigners and planted them in that land. They did it all over the empire. It helps to keep control of the people when they don't have their roots. And so there's a blending of races and religions, and so they weren't really well respected. And so he meets this lady at noon, which is not the time to go get water. But as we hear about her lifestyle, she's had five husbands, and she's shacking up with someone now. So she wasn't, probably wasn't well respected. Plus, Sychar itself had a well within its boundaries. So here's a well outside the city primarily used for watering animals. So she goes at a time when no one goes to get water, to get water. And there's the Lord sitting, living as a man, anointed by the Holy Spirit. And he's thirsty, He's living as a man, right? He asks for a drink and she gives him a drink and he promises her that he has living water to give, spiritual living water, promising uh, the truth that saves us and the spirit that fills us, living water. And she said... Uh, Tell me more about this, that I I want this. He said, go get your husband. She says, I have no husband. The Holy Spirit gave him a word of knowledge. She's had five husbands, and the one she's with isn't isn't her husband. So he shared that with her. She said, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. And she was wondering why a Jew would ask her for water, so now she has more respect for him. Then she brings up a religious debate. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, before there was the Temple Mount, before there was Jerusalem. So, you know, we're worshiping at the place where the roots of our faith is. And you guys say we have to worship in Jerusalem. And so Jesus says, well, salvation is of the Jews. God's truth, his salvation is line upon line, precept upon precept. He builds, God builds on what he has done. And so the pages have turned. They're no longer viewing the mountain as a place of worship, but as Jerusalem as a place of, of worship. And then Jesus said this, 
He said, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Verse 21, worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. You know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I am who speaks to you. She runs into the town and says, come see a man. One comedian said, sure, come see a man. Another man, you know. And they came out to hear him. And he stayed there two days ministering to these, this hated group of people, living under the dominion of the Roman Empire and hated by their neighbors, the Judeans and the Galileans, not very well loved. And they understood that he was the Messiah. Isn't that great? God's mercy chooses to show mercy and revelation to those that are rejected. He came to those that need a Savior and know they need one, that don't have their act together. And they understood this was the Messiah, the Savior of the world. I love that story. Maybe that's why I'm preaching from it again. I want to home in on verse 23 and 24, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father not necessarily in specific geographical locations on a mountain or in a temple in Jerusalem, but they'll worship the Father in spirit and truth. That can happen anywhere. Say it, anywhere. Anywhere. At any time. You don't have to wait till a special festival or wait till the last day of the week or the first day of the week. We're called to worship 24-7 in spirit and truth. We'll talk a little bit about that. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. Can you repeat after me? Am I the kind of worshiper the Father's looking for? Verse 24, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Lord, speak to us today from your word in such a way that it impacts not just our worship, but our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So, I want to include everyone in this message. You may think, I'm not a Christian, or I've been bad, or I'm this or I'm that, so this doesn't apply to me. I should have went to another church. I should be playing golf. I should be doing something else. This isn't going to be relevant for me. Let me tell you, it is relevant for you, regardless of where you are with God. You and I and us and we were made to worship. If you don't think so, go to a big concert. There are people doing what comes naturally. They're not worshiping God. They're worshiping their stars. Their hands are raised. They're swaying. They're shouting. They're spinning. And they're taking selfies and having conversations. The word worship, according to Webster's 1828 Dictionary, means to adore, 
to pay divine honors to, to reverence with supreme respect and veneration. In the Greek, it's the word proskuneo, process to go forward, to prostrate oneself in homage to. Proskuneo, it means to do reverence, to adore, to express worship. So it's something that comes from our heart and goes outwardly, audibly and visibly. This is worship, proskuneo. It literally means to kiss the hand, to fawn or to crouch to. The word process to go forward, pro, and cuneo is related to, don't be insulted by this, it's related to the word dog. How does that relate to worship? Who has a dog? When you go home today, will he act like he hadn't seen you in years and give you some love and adoration and kiss your hand, right? Kiss other things too if you let him. That is what worship is. Humbling ourselves before God and worshiping him. There are some churches that have what they call worship, but it can be so rigid that there's no room to express creative passion, express true gratitude. It's so formal. Now, the Bible does say be still and know that I am God. But it's only in the Bible once, and there is a place for that. We did, saints, we do not have to fill every silent place with sound, right? But it also says to praise him in the dance, to praise him with singing, to praise him with thanksgiving, to praise him with the shout. Well, those verses are all in the Old Testament. yes. But they're primarily, most of them are written by David who got a taste of the New Testament. Did you know that? For his crimes, he suffered a lot. He should have been stoned until dead. And I don't mean smoking. He was a bad guy. But he was a man after God's own heart. He became repentant. God forgave him. He got a taste of the New Covenant right there in the Old Testament. In fact, He was the one God used to restore the Ark of the Covenant. They used it like a good luck charm or good luck talisman would take it into battle, hoping God would give them the victory. And the Lord allowed the Ark of the Covenant to be stolen. And so they were without it for years. So David's the one that restored it. He did not take it back to the tabernacle of Moses. These were the years before the temple. He took it to Mount Zion and set up shifts of worship, 24-7 worship. It went on like 38, 39 years years worship till Solomon's temple was built and then it went back into the rituals that Moses had established so what was those 38 39 40 years it was a taste of the new testament in the book of acts when the jewish believers saw gentile unbelievers coming into the kingdom coming in and partaking of the new covenant james the brother of jesus quoted from amos which has a prophecy in it that I will rebuild the tabernacle of David so that the residue of mankind may seek the Lord. So that's really what the church is, is the tabernacle of David. Praise and worship's going on somewhere 24-7 around the world. Some churches try to reproduce it. We're going to have 24-7 worship from now on, but it's really hard. They'll run themselves in the ground. One church seems to be succeeding at it, 
But a lot of those worshipers are actually paid to do it by partners back at their home churches where they came from. I'm not throwing rocks at it. It would be great for a young person to devote themselves to praise and worship for a year if they didn't have to worry about an income. But that is a unique thing. That's not the calling for every congregation to do. We participate in the global tabernacle of David, worshiping and praising him around the clock. It's happening. I don't care what time of the day it is. It's happening somewhere in the world. Well, what if they, between 11 and 12 tomorrow, there's no time, there's no, there's no island there? Well, there may be a ship there. Or maybe somebody here is praising the Lord during that hour anyway. So it's something God is doing. And I learned this recently, the Orthodox Jews, during the festival of tabernacles, every day they pray for the restoration of David's tabernacle. I said, why, why do you do that? Are you believing for 24-7 worship like you had before the temple? He said, no, it's the David's tabernacle points to the Messiah, the son of David. Yes, amen. And the Lord is bringing Jews into the kingdom daily. They're experiencing the tabernacle of David today. All right, but that's not what I'm talking about. Today we're talking about honoring true worship. The attributes of true worshipers. True worshipers practice true worship. The hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers. There's some things called worship that really isn't. Smoke, smoke machines and lights, that's cool. But that's not worship. Beautiful architecture and stained glass windows. Wonderful. But that's not worship. Worship is when the heart of man gives glory to the heart of God. Matthew 15, 8, Jesus quotes from Isaiah. We'll look at it in this context. These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Who knows? It's possible to go through the motions and your heart not be in it. This comes from Isaiah 29, 13, and 14. Therefore, the Lord said, inasmuch as these people draw near with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the commandment of men. Therefore, behold, I'm going to punish them. He doesn't say that. Therefore, behold, I will again do a marvelous work among this people, a marvelous work and a wonder, for the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the understanding of the prudent men shall be hidden. So Jesus fulfilled this verse. He quoted the first part. You guys are teaching, you know, the commandments of men instead of the word of God. And you're honoring me with your lips, honoring God with your lips, but not with your lives. And then he did marvelous things in response to that. Isn't that an amazing demonstration of grace? God, in response to our condition, like the woman at the well, her condition wasn't ideal, wasn't the best, it was sinful. And the Lord responds to that by extending grace, offering her living water. She was thirsting for something and wasn't finding it in relationships, right? You may be a person here, your attitude has been, girl, I got to get me a man, then I'll be happy. All the men say, oh, no. Happiness comes from the Lord. He has living water that will quench that. Ezekiel 33, and speaking along these lines, verse 31 and 32 says, 
of, of rebellious people, they come and sit in front of you, talking to Ezekiel, as my people. And listen to the words you say, but they do not do them. With their mouth, they speak of love, and their hearts are full of sinful desire. They think of you as nothing more than one who sings love songs with a beautiful voice and plays music well. For they hear what you say, but they will not do it. Thanks, if we're true worshipers, and we sing surrender to the Lord, we back that up with a life that surrenders to the Lord. The Christian life is about giving our lives to the Lord, right? When did you give your life to the Lord? This morning. What? And you're a pastor and you gave your life to the Lord this morning? I gave my life to him yesterday morning. I'm going to give my life to him tomorrow morning. Giving your life to the Lord is where it all begins, but that's not where it stops because it's a daily walk of surrender because we want to do the Lord's will. And so our songs, our worship remind us of our devotion to him that gets down in our hearts, gets in our head. Who, who wakes up sometime, there's a song in your mind. And that helps us in living a life empowered by the Spirit. True worshipers will worship God. Some people worship worship. Did you know that? They worship a performance. The platform gets called a stage. And if somebody does that, don't, we're not having cows over that. But the point is, we sing and worship for an audience of one. Our praise teams, as awesome as they are, they do not worship for us. They are the lead worshipers helping us to worship the one who's on the throne, who is worthy, who is holy, who is above all and over all and before all and greater than all and worthy. And when we worship him, we are reverberating the echoes of reality. This is the way it is. He is awesome. Worship God. Isaiah 43, 22. This people I have formed for myself. They shall declare my praise. This is why we are made. Did you know creation was created to give God praise? The rest of the context surrounding that verse, Isaiah 43, 20 and 21, says the beasts of the field will glorify me, the jackals and the ostriches, because I have given waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I form for myself will declare my praise. I have been created, we have been created, you have been created to worship. That's why God gives us life, gives us food. Ooh, who could use some food right now? You know, I get a revelation every time I bite into something delicious. Bite into it, it's just such a pleasure. I know there's a God. Oh, yeah. Yeah. True worshipers will worship in spirit. What does that mean? Well, we know that we have spirits that are reborn. You know, when we are born again, our spirits come alive. We're now in communion with God. We have a human spirit, and we are filled with the Holy Spirit. If you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, it's something for you to receive. The Holy Spirit himself comes and fills you with his power, his presence, his being, his personality. His will for your life. So that's our spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. But there's something a little more specific than that. True worshipers will worship the Father in 
spirit. Look at these two verses. Romans 8, 15. For you have not received the spirit of bondage, again, to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Abba, Pater. Pater, the word for father, also means parent. It's kind of formal. It's one to never lose. God is to be highly respected, right? But Abba comes from a Chaldean word, Ab, which means father. But when a child says it, you know, kids learn to speak, Dada, Mama, Papa, Ab comes out, Abba. The spirit within us helps us to cry out in worship to our father. We are called to worship the father, folks. As his children. In charismatic circles, I have to say this, sometimes we get ahead of ourselves and think the wedding feast has already happened and approach worship as though we're going into the bridal chamber. That's really hard for men to do anyway. That sounds gay, right? No, we're approaching our Heavenly Father. An intimate relationship with a dad that loves you, cares for you, will heal your wounds and heal your hurts. The wedding's coming further on down the line, and the details of that, God's going to work out. So let's line up our imaginations with the truth. I'm getting ahead of myself. Galatians 4, 6, because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The Holy Spirit calls the Father, Father. Abba, Father. So this is worshiping him as our Father. Father seeking us to worship him. To worship the Father in spirit and truth. And truth is with his present reality. In light of eternity, God is your Father. You may have had a horrible Father. You may not have had a Father. But we have a heavenly father. I have a father. You have a father too. He loves you. We come to him as children. Corporately, we're the children of God. Corporately, we're the sons and daughters of God. Corporately, we're the sons of God. Corporately, we're the bride of Christ, not the brides. One bride. He's not a polygamist, and he's not a fornicator either. So there's no bridal chamber time with the groom as an individual. So it's a metaphor for the relationship of the church with the Lord Jesus. So in worship as individuals and as a church, we approach God as our heavenly Father. There's been some well-known preachers try to make parallels between worship and sexual intimacy. They're going too far. We worship in the truth. Don't let your imagination get you beyond the truth. Can we say truth? All right. If that rattles your cage, let's talk afterwards. You know I love you. Ephesians 5, 18 tells us how to worship. Don't be drunk with wine, so don't be mixing drunkenness with your religion, in which is dissipation or waste, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Come on, my soul. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Giving thanks 
always. So we see psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. We see singing and making melody in your heart and giving thanks some of the time. Always. The passage, verse 20, continues. For all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus. How can we give thanks always for all things? Some things are horrible, right? But you can give thanks that the story's not over. I thank you, Lord. I'm going to draw closer to you through this, and this isn't the way it's going to be. You're going to take this mess and turn it into a message. You're going to take this trial and turn it into triumph. Right? <laughs> we give in thanks, all thanks to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. So our relationship with each other is important. Because God views our lives as a whole. So if our worship is mixed with, oh, I love you, Lord. Why is she wearing that today? And I lift my voice. Oh, my husband is such a moron to worship you. Oh, he left again early. Oh, they're late. You, you mix that in with worship, it messes it up, right? In the book of James, there's some verses that talk about the way we speak gets mixed in with our life. And you can't mix fresh water with salt water and get fresh water, can you not? So we submit to each other, we honor one another in the fear or awe or respect of God. And this gives credibility to our worship because if we love God who we can't see and not love our brother who we can see, who was made in his image... We're not really loving God because God sees our worship on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. In the Jesus Movement days, a little gal, she's not little anymore, but she sang a song, Ain't It Grand to Be a Christian? Ain't It Grand? Ain't It Grand to Be a Christian? Ain't It Grand? Ain't It Grand to Be a Christian? On Monday, Tuesday, Friday, Saturday, and all day Sunday, grand to be a Christian better stop. I messed that up. Colossians 3, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. Worship, music helps the word of Christ to dwell in us richly. So if we worship in truth, our songs need to be biblical, right? So as the bride of Christ, we have a groom, right? Corporately. But individually, you're not one of Jesus' millions of brides. So Jesus is not your boyfriend. He is the way to your father. He's your savior. He's your Messiah. He is our betrothed groom. We've been engaged, right? There's a wedding coming. So let's keep things in context with the truth without getting legalistic about it, but just keep things in context with the truth because some songs that some churches are singing, you could sing to any deity. But when our song lists have the gospel mixed in them, Oh, man, there's only one who died on the cross. 
There's only one who reigns on the throne. There's only one empty tomb. There's only one who shed his blood for the sins of the world. There's only one. We sang about the table today. There's only one table that he prepared for us. So we worship in spirit and in truth. Giving thanks. Here it is again. To God the Father through him. Now worship also includes rejoicing. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Philippians 3.1. 4.4 says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 says, rejoice always. What is rejoicing? It's expressing praise. When the Cowboys score a touchdown, the fickle Cowboy fans will go bananas. Cowboys aren't winning. They're disappointed. They're not great fans, not like other deals, so. I'll stay away from that. Uh, people rejoice expressively, but keep in mind our rejoicing must be, must be in alignment with biblical precepts, right? So it's appropriate to shout, to dance, to raise your hands, to, to be loud, to be soft, to be still. It's appropriate to get on your face. That's literally what worship means. So rejoicing is expressive, right? It's you. We're not having to sing songs that were sung 100 years ago. We can sing new songs. We can sing old songs as well. I was at a hymn sing recently, and they sang the whole hymn, all six verses, five or six of them, with boisterousness. And that's the way it should be. Those that are championing the old hymns, I want to challenge you. Sing the whole thing. Don't you dare skip nothing. If you're pro him, sing the whole song because it's there for a purpose. It's wonderful. It's glorious. And rejoice while you're doing it. Well, I'm going to share a little video clip. It's about 34 seconds. I'm not sharing it to throw rocks at people. There are several thousand people in America that still worship this way. It hasn't died off. They rejoice. All right. But about 10 seconds into it, you're going to see where they leave the reservation and leave the truth behind. Here we go. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing in everything. There it is again. Give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I'm going to end this with a question. Are we true worshipers? Do you rejoice in the Lord? Are you thankful for his blessing? You have oxygen to breathe, water to drink, food to eat, a house to live in, family to love you an eternal home to look forward to, we will never run out of things to give thanks. The last passage we looked at in the previous slide, for everything give thanks, this one says, in everything give thanks. 
So you may be in a circumstance it's hard to be thankful for, but in that circumstance you can be thankful in. Paul and Silas were in jail, and they began to sing songs and give thanks in the midst of their trial. And a miracle happened. He wound up later in jail. I'm sure he sang that same song, and the miracle didn't happen again. But he still gave thanks. True worshipers are who God is seeking. Are we the kind of worshipers God is looking for? 1 Peter 2, verse 9, you are a chosen generation. Why are we chosen? To be blessed, yes. But is it just that? That would be a me-centered chosenness. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. So we're chosen to be a royal nation. We're chosen to be a chosen generation. We're chosen to be a holy nation. We're chosen to be his own special people. That you, here's why, you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I just want to speak the name of Jesus over all sickness and infirmity. We worship him. We've got so much to be thankful for. You ever given a gift to a child and there's no uh, appropriate response? Children have to be trained, right? So it's part of, part of our maturing as believers. It's appropriate <laughs> to give him some praise and adoration. It's how he communes with us. It's how he draws near to us. We're like opening the door of our lives to him. And there is blessing in that. True worshipers must worship the Lord. If you are a worshiper, you must worship. You must. It's a privilege. It's an honor. And the Lord is the focus of our worship in spirit and in truth. Therefore, Hebrews 13, 15, and 16, by him, let us continually, somebody said constantly, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. I've heard it said that sometimes a sacrifice of praise is a praise you don't feel like giving. It's the praise when you command your soul, bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and that all that is within me, bless his holy name. By him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is, and here's what it is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But then to back up it up with our lives. But do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Talking about true worshipers. Are you a true worshiper? Why not? Well, I'm not an expressive person. A well-known pastor, he's since gone on to meet his maker, Justin Cornwall, did a lot of teaching on praise and worship, so his church was very expressive in worship, and a member of the church really wasn't, and he spoke to him about it, and he says, well, it's just not my nature. So he was invited by this member to go to a football game where his grandson was playing on the high school team, I think. And during that game, the grandson scored an impossible touchdown. And the guy was out of his seat, rejoicing, jumping, shouting over the fact his grandson had carried an air-filled pigskin across a line. 
and scored six points. So Justin, being ornery, sat like this through it all. And he turned to him, he says, Pastor, did you see that? That was impossible. Did you see that? Yes. Well, what's wrong with you? Nothing. Why are you just sitting there? We, we, we're going to win the game. It's not my nature. <laughs> I know our personalities are different. I know forced worship isn't worship at all. Who's been to cheerleader churches? Come on, come on, louder, come on, come on. I hate that. I just hate that. I like to cheer the Lord on, but don't make people worship. So we've seen in these instructions from the New Testament, true worshipers often will be speaking words of prayer, honor, praise, and adoration. Often part of our worship. They'll often be singing songs of prayer, honor, praise, and adoration. Well, I got an off there. I can't carry a tune in the bucket, and the radio just gives me static. The Lord loves a joyful noise. He's got scales we can't even think of. So all of our beautiful efforts are, are very, pretty juvenile. So join in with the rest of us and sing to the Lord. Maybe someone wounded you as a child. Maybe a music teacher at school told you you're tone deaf. Who cares? Who's worthy? That's what it's about, right? So at least pat your foot or something. True worshipers often will be thanking the Lord audibly from grateful hearts. Not silently, it's audibly from a heart that is truly thankful. Who knows ingratitude can get a hold of us? It can and can turn us into a sourpuss. So worship helps us be positive people. So maybe you're a negative and you invest in motivational speakers, constantly buying books, trying to keep yourself pumped up. Why don't you just become a worshiper? <laughs> Magnify the Lord and you'll see those mountains become molehills. The story's not over. My Redeemer lives. In worship, we can be honest, we can lament, cry out to God in our despair and be honest with him how we feel. And I believe when you empty all that out and you're still making an effort to commune with God, he will give you an epiphany that will help you see everything differently. David, you can see it numerous places in the Psalms. Why do the wicked prosper? Why do the righteous suffer? And he's lamenting, lamenting, lamenting. And then he makes a shift. But then I remember, I went to the house of the Lord and I remembered, I'm going to heaven and they're not. Job in his despair lamented and got a revelation that he let go of. He should have held on to it. It could have carried him through in victory to the end of that trial. He's, he was lamenting, said, man, my breath is so bad, children run from me. My wife can't stand me till she can't stand no more. Then he said, oh, I wish I had an iron pen where I could write these words where they will remain forever. I know my Redeemer lives. And in my flesh, I shall see God. 
So in our lamenting, may the Lord reveal to you, the story's not over, and God's not phased by this. He's alive. You may not know how redemption's going to come, but your Redeemer lives. You may not know how the solution is going to come, but the problem solver lives. You may not know how provision is going to come or be provided, but you can know the provider lives. You may not know how your healing is going to come, but you can know the healer lives. You may not know how deliverance is going to come, but you can bank on the fact your deliverer lives. And worship helps you get out of the molly grubs and fight the fight of faith. You pick your shield up again, put your helmet on and your sword and begin to declare the truth. My Redeemer lives. True worshipers often will be rejoicing before him expressively, spiritually and biblically. Leave the snakes alone. They have one passage of scripture they go off of. And uh, to form a doctrine as an instruction, you need more than one passage. I believe Paul fulfilled that verse when he was bit by a snake, shook it off in the fire, and it didn't faze him. They think it's a command. Anyway, that's, that's their deal. Bless their heart. Rejoicing spiritually and biblically. Posturing ourselves in ways that show respect to God. What does your body language say in alignment with the song you're singing? True worshipers often will be living in unity with others as much as depends upon us. Some people, you just can't get along with them, so you have to make room for Jesus, Right? But as much as depends on you, are you doing your best to walk in unity with people? None of us know when our lives will come to an end, right? If someone walks in here and stabs me and I die, say, well, he's gone on to meet his reward. He never wanted to be in a nursing home. So because you don't know when you're going to die and you're part of conflict, don't die with conflicts unresolved as much as depends upon you. True worshipers often will be enjoying the presence of God, presence of the Lord in genuine humility. There's something humbling by recognizing we are a child. One of the first worship songs I learned when I was a little boy, besides the kids' church songs, and it stuck with me at the age of 10. Heavenly Father, I appreciate you. Heavenly Father, I appreciate you. I love you. I adore you. I bow down before you. Heavenly Father, I appreciate you. We were starting a church in Monrovia, Liberia, and I learned that song. There's a ceiling fan that oscillated that would get stuck. <laughs> we had cushions you sat on that were fabric wrapped around foam rubber, tacked into plywood, and my dad used nails were just a little too long. He couldn't find them that were short in the country. So depending on how you sat. Oh, oh, oh. Heavenly Father, I appreciate. 
We offered the sacrifice of praise. That church got off the ground and is thriving today. Let's sing, sing our gratitude and thankfulness to the Lord. Can we do that? The praise team, come forward. Thank you guys so much. Lord, I pray that your word would take root, that our worship experience would not be what it has been if we've been bored with worship. Lord, help us to see our purpose. Help us to study the subject. Help us, Lord, to glean what you would have us to glean from the honor we've been given as a chosen generation to show forth your praises. Thank you, Lord, for calling us out of darkness into your marvelous light. Amen. All my words fall short I've got nothing new How could I express All my gratitude I could sing these songs As I often do But every song must end And you never do I've got one response I've got just one With my arms stretched wide, I will worship you. So I throw up my hands and praise you again and again. Cause all that I have is a hallelujah, hallelujah. Except for a heart singing hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, my soul. Oh, don't you get shy on me. Lift up your song. Cause you've got a lion inside of those hearts Get up and praise the Lord Come on my soul Oh don't you get shy on me Lift up your song Cause you've got a lion inside of those hearts Get up and praise the Lord
to be a true worshiper it's hard to do if you're an unbeliever and how you can become a believer is by hearing the gospel I'm about to share it and if the Lord gives you the grace to believe it call on his name the world is separated from God by sin if you don't believe it read your newspaper Check out your news site. If the conspiracies are true, it's really bad. If the conspiracies are not true, it's still bad. And the conspirators are wicked. And this separates mankind from each other and separates us from a holy God who will not draw near to people that are wicked. But he has made a way for us to be redeemed. His son came into a wicked world and they destroyed him and God knew it would happen. He allowed it to happen so that his son would be the redeemer for mankind to take the penalty of sin, which is death, upon himself. He died a death he was not worthy of, paid a price that we were worthy of so that we could go free. Three days later, he arose from the grave. There was an empty tomb The church was born 50 days later, just a short walk from the empty tomb. The proof of the resurrection at that time was undeniable. No one found the body, and Christ began to show himself alive to hundreds of people over a period of 40 days. Ten days later, his church was born, and the gospel, the good news of the resurrection, and why it's good news, began to spread across the Roman Empire. We're here today as a result of the resurrection. Jesus died for your sins and mine. If you find yourself believing that, that is saving faith dawning in your heart. By grace are we saved through faith. That faith is not of ourselves. Just call on his name. Can we do it together? Call on his name with us. Oh God in heaven, I call on your name. I believe that Jesus is the son of God. I believe he died for my sins. I believe he has risen from the dead. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Make me your child. I give you my life from this day forward. That's how it starts. By calling his name, Jesus. The name Jesus is a prayer in itself. It means Yahweh, Jehovah, saves. You call on him for salvation, just call on his name, Jesus, save. Maybe you call on his name when you were cursing. This is different than that. You're calling on his name out of desperation. He'll forgive you for the wrong call. 
He left his number behind and sent his Holy Spirit. His number is J-E-S-U-S in English, Y-E-S-H-U-A in Hebrew in our alphabet. And he sent his Holy Spirit to fill us. And if you prayed that prayer, talk to somebody and they'll pray with you some more. We welcome you into the kingdom of God and you too can become a true worshiper. The scriptures are full of songs that are waiting on someone to put music to them. And the history of this congregation, I end it with what's called the ironic blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. But I'm not going to do that. I just quoted it. The praise team is going to pronounce the blessing upon you in song. Just receive. Receive. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turned his face toward you. Yeah. 
Met someone new today, go greet them again before you go. Go get them, tigers. Amen.